hello, you're listening to The Critical Channel, and I'm not actually in this episode, but I just wanted to drop in in place of the usual intro to say that we at The Critical Channel all stand with Ukraine on the side of freedom of speech and against war and tyranny, and that Vladimir Putin is hereby banned from listening to our podcast. Anyway, here's an episode about technical debt. Enjoy! I miss Kieran. He's always here to uh, set us on our way. Yeah, he normally eases out the process. I think it's the first one without Kieran. Oh, well, now we I think it's ourselves. the first one. Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah, it's the first one. That's, that's the title right there. Like Kieran-less. Yeah. <laughs> Kieran-less. <laughs> it's a new Kieran-less. protocol. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. We're not going there. <laughs> Come on. We, we have enough protocols. <laughs> I don't want another one. I mean, none of them has such a cool name. Oh, yeah. Kieran Les. But also, at the same time, they all are. No, that, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was really bad. Terrible. Yeah, guys, I think we should just like talk about something else as we usually do until we gently segue into uh, the actual topic. Could be. Does anyone so have I any, actually want to talk keyboard? about something which which came up today and it's one of those things where i always get slightly annoyed and worried and it's this docker containers mm-hmm. because like somebody was proposing to put php fpm what was it uh, supervisor uh-huh. d and some other background process into one container no. just just and just don't talk to them anymore why do they want to make a vm <laughs> just don't continue the conversation there is no <laughs> point <laughs> you'll arrive nowhere yeah. Well, we actually arrived to the conclusion that it was a bad okay, idea. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> that's something. Okay. Good. But it's one of those cases where I'm like, why do people think that a container needs to be a VM? Because they think... I don't get it. Yeah, they think about VMs. Yeah. They think containers are just the new VMs. And they're like, well, I'll just put everything in one container and off I go. Yeah. No, also, doesn't to, work, to, honestly, to give them credit why they think that, how the industry presents containers. Oh, they're like VMs, mm. but lightweight and they therefore start up so quickly and then you're like all right i just do the same thing it's just going to be quicker there you go yeah yeah but what was the reason varner what was the reason but i they didn't know better i think like that's what the kind of the conclusion like i think it was twofold one was they thought it was faster to do it that way and the other one was just they didn't really understand the concept behind containers like, I think this is actually that's what the guys fun. from, uh, that's Distroless, right? Mm-hmm. The the guys from Google who actually did the Distroless containers first. They actually have a really nice presentation about, like, the original, like, how you should actually go about it. And there shouldn't be a shell, for example, in a container if you do yeah. it the proper way yeah. around. But, but how do I run my TCP very then? Interesting then. then. Yeah, a side container. You, there you go. Don't. Nah, you run it on the nah. node. <laughs> <laughs> no, you put more containers. Yeah. Sure. And off... Yeah, sidecars. No, actually, what, side we always, what, we, what I always do is I build a debug container. Yeah, I know, but yeah. sometimes, you know, you build a debug container and it works. But we're, we're going to digress. Every time I say things, we digress. So. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that that's, a, that's not a bad reason to suggest something that's not a good idea. You just don't really know it super well. And you talk about it, you learn about it, and you realize it's not a great idea. You learn something today and you move on. That's totally oh, fine. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if that's, that's what happens, absolutely. yeah. But if you, I don't know, suddenly 
is looking at a PR and you're like, oh, look at that beauty. Mm-hmm. So that's a different story. Yeah. And then an endless, yeah, but that's always endless the case, discussion right? in the PR. Oh, but this is easy enough to stack. This is one thing I like about kind of the remote thing. Before you had to find somebody at the desk. And then first you had to figure out where the desk was. Then you figured that desk was in another office <laughs> or in another country. And then I was like, okay, crap. Um, and these days everybody's just on whatever, whatever meeting it is or whatever remote thing and it's just like okay just hit i think it's huddle yep, right yep. now right in slack it's like this huddle start button screaming button. at them right away you just hit that button and you just keep hitting it <laughs> <laughs> except if you're too. using you, you're using gather io in that case you have to actually oh, go God. And oh. <laughs> do an rpg adventure <laughs> to find the person in the other side of the map yeah you kill like few dragons on fight, the way fight monsters yeah, yeah played mario kart along the way yeah by the time you get there it's crashed the browser because that's so heavy pr is already merged in production exactly (laughs) and then and then what and then what happens if that pr that was bad and cut a few corners makes it to production what what does that give you that is a beautiful question called technical depth now you have to that was the smoothest Smooth, segue absolutely ever. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Technical debt. Why is that bad? Technical debt, guys. What is it Ooh. to begin with? What is it? Yeah. Good point. Ooh, is it known or unknown? Uh, well, <laughs> there is always known okay. unknowns. Yeah. The, the, there is as usual like, All right. argument let, 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 going on maybe, about <laughs> what is it. Let's maybe assume that most of our audience knows or has an idea of technical debt. But just for the sake of completeness, maybe we can share our definitions. Like To my mind, technical debt is maybe the difference between where your technical assets are and where they need to be to you know meet the requirements of today meaning you know if i if i start a a, a product with you know a tutorial of getting started with nest.js and then my company does really well and i have a million users concurrently i'm going to have technical debt because i i did something super quick just for the sake of getting out there and at some point i scaled too much and what i did doesn't doesn't cut it anymore. Uh, so I have technical debt. But if my startup failed immediately, then I never had technical debt because what I had was adequate to the stage where, you know, uh, it was. In general, well, in general, everything you write, some, no, well, let, let me rephrase this. When you start a company, everything you write, um, you know, it's, it's a tryout. You're, you're, you're trying something out. You're going to see if it's, you know, if the market accepts your product, first of all. And if it does, then it becomes what you said, right? Like it becomes, depending how you wrote, technical debt. And then eventually you have to pay that off. Um, If your company fails, well, it was a learning and you learned. And now you can work on top of that later on. That is the natural, yeah, hopefully. That's the natural way of things. Most of the times, company fails, everybody shuts off. You're going to try something else. And then you write more technical debt. And off you go. Beautiful. So I'm going to stick with anything I wrote two minutes ago is technical debt. Uh, <laughs> Why? Now, <laughs> Why is that? 
I think that's a good way of putting it, but I, I, want, I want to get why out of you now. So, so actually, I need to refine it. Anything I wrote two minutes ago and oh, is actually, I know, I know the answer to this <laughs> question. Yeah. Why uh, I've seen some worders hacky one-liners. Yeah. So that's the only thing he could oh, like yeah. probably write in two minutes. So yeah, if that's in production, that's a technical debt. Actually, kind of goes by the original definition when you, or not by the very original definition, but this kind of the second definition by Fowler and friends, when you have this mm. quadrant, when you do, when you know how to do things, but you deliberately do them in a hacky way. So that's Warner's yeah. one lines. Yeah, but, but, but why though? Why do you do that in the first place? Like, should you get fired for that? Or is there a reason? So, so I, mean, I think it, it really depends. Like I think technical debt ex exists in multiple states, phases and stages. Like if I look at technical debt, you have the technical debt, which like, for example, what, what you can create with what we just talked about with the, with the Docker container. Yeah. That's a very easy type of technical debt, which is just, okay, the person doesn't know better. The people writing it just don't know better. So it, it is actually already technical debt, but nobody will discover it for you. So this is like the kind of unknown technical debt which you have where you say, okay, hey, what do I, I didn't know this was technical debt when I wrote it. This was a quick and quick and simple way to get things up and running. So you have this kind of unknown, like people discovering, people learning. Uh, definitely in startups, you see this a lot more, whereas if you have a bit more mature team uh, with a bit of more of a mix and understanding of like the models within the company and the kind of systems they're using in technology, you see that kind, kind a little less. You have simple technical debt because, hey, it was the quick fix. Shit was breaking, we just fix it and Hopefully, at that point, you write a ticket and you put it somewhere and it stays known and doesn't go into the unknowns. Mm. Um, like, you also have known technical debt. This is very much often business decision driven. It's like, okay, we say, hey, we need to bring X to market in Y amount of time. Where can we take shortcuts? And then, of course, you have the technical debt, which is introduced over time. Yeah. And this is mostly when you look at, like, okay, I think a very simple one is you have a password manager, right? Like a password manager in the past, the only thing it needed to do was autofill some forms. That's it. And it's the only thing it had to do. There was no JavaScript, no anything. If you now at this day and age where everything is single page, clickety click, blinkety blink, JavaScript, single page apps uh, with everything possible in there, that application will never work. So you actually get technical debt that way over time. Where it's like, okay, your solutions don't work anymore. They're not compatible anymore, which is also a type of debt which you which you take on. You can say, okay, we we do not update our application because it either takes too much resource, too much time, which is how you can get a technical debt. You can do it in the security area where you say, okay, we refuse to update a internal package which has a known CVE, but you can also do this in just a simple maintenance one where you say, okay, we're still running Ubuntu 14.6. Mm -hmm. Um, which is also a way of technical debt. Like they're not per se bad. No, yeah, software evolves, yeah. but it's also not software pretty. evolves, right? So yeah. as it evolves, yep. hardly you're going to keep up with every single update that is out there, right? So you're running your clusters, you're running your versions of your whatever frameworks you have. Imagine if you have to update this every time there is a new version. You're just going to do that for the rest of your, you know, uh, of your business time. Yeah. So in general, that is an acceptable thing up to a point, right? So you obviously have to set some set of rules. Like if you're running on two older versions or 
that is not you know uh, supported anymore well then yes that that's a problem that's normally a problem um but there is a tolerance here and there right while it's supported by whoever is a provider it is a technical debt yeah but it's a managed risk right so it's a risk that you have that you control you know which version you are it's not causing any problems you're just out of date you're not picking up the new new shiny features but again that's a managed risk that's fine to tolerate the problem is the software that is in your core in general right because then you try to evolve that software with you as the company follows um you know its plan in the future it becomes more and more complex obviously and then you have to evolve that software with you uh, this whole theory is called evolutionary architectures right which is something that we should try to build it's like this kind of like software that can evolve with you and with your company as you as, as you grow it's extremely complicated to 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 put it in practice but the theory is a is a very interesting theory yeah if you, you can, if you can you achieve can that you don't have it. to do the big rewrite at some point right because the software can just be molded as the requirements yeah. change right I, I do believe right. though that the point will come eventually no matter no matter how yeah. much you invest in all this but we never know maybe with the help of ai and whatnot in the future, it will actually be more achievable. Even even or, with the or delay, so, so, so I'm going to make a quick segue into DNA. But how much of our DNA is actually used? I have no idea. Not a lot. So I mean, you can look at a lot of systems that way as well, right? If you look at a lot of systems, if things aren't used, they're not per se bad. Mm -hmm. They can become bad if somebody accidentally starts using them and stuff explodes. Like that is definitely possible. But if you look at a lot of systems which evolve i think there is some practices as in code wise how you can improve yeah. this continual refactoring for uh -huh. example if you take and build a new feature you first massage the code which you have into a place where you can actually build the new feature instead of trying to well shiv a sh take a shiv and just shiv it in um, so this also means you have to build in some quality control uh -huh. some gateway some some method of looking at your code from different perspective of course you can use basic tools there which is linting yeah very basic but it is a quote code quality thing you can also go further you can use something like code scene where you go and look at okay if a pull request is submitted how does it which pieces of the code are always affected what is tied together what has dependencies within the code all those kind of things like you can detect those kind of things but it's always going to be you're going to always have that depth yeah or at least technical debt. Yeah, and, and that's fine, right? No that's fine around. as long as it's controlled and trackable. Trackable, that's fine. The problem is always what you mentioned before, which is like the unknown technical debt that we might have, right? Those are well. If I don't know it, then how can I act? I on actually. It? That's those are much harder. Yeah, I wanted to say something about that. I, I personally don't think this is technical debt. Like maybe it needs a better name. I think so many things get put into this technical debt basket now it's like oh whatever happens technical debt we don't know how to do things in a better way technical debt we don't have that technical debt whatever whatever technical debt i very much like the kind of so-called original definition when we deliberately say that in order to move fast we sacrifice something and by sacrifice i mean we do things in a hacky way and we know that we'll have to refactor them sometime in the future and usually it's like near-ish future i mean things happen yeah and sometimes it's not that near-ish future but that's the plan it's like borrowing money right you borrow money 
with the intention to do something. Like it's not that you borrow money just because you uh, don't know better. Sometimes you do, but anyway, like you borrow money because mm. you can do something with money now rather than waiting until whatever time when you get them some other way. But then you have to pay interest. Mm. Uh, so the, th this this thing kind of works well in my head. But then when we're talking about all these unknowns being put into the technical debt basket, I think that's a kind of a, it's a, a way to nowhere. Like then everything is technical debt because there are always unknowns. You cannot kind of stay, let's say, happy when you know that, oh, everything is technical debt. Like we're never going to get rid of it, not even like lower it a bit because there are still those, you know, unknowns. You're not. You won't. Yeah. And, and, and you cannot if, get if, a technical if debt. If you look at, at your example, like let's say we do a conscious decision of implementing something in a hacky way and then we release that. That's great. If you keep track of that, that's great, right? Because you know you made that decision. We know that in general, nobody keeps track of that. That's just a reality. It's 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 the majority of the reality, let's oh, say. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think um, this is still debt, like even if... Like you made the decision to do things Absolutely. in a hacky way, even if you don't track it, it's still there. I'm, I'm talking right, more right. about it's those when, yeah. I don't know, something, let's say, is obsolete now. Not that it becomes a technical ah. debt. I'd say it's just an obsolete thing. It needs replacement or it needs to mm. be like, I don't know, dismantled and put away. But I wouldn't call it a technical debt. It's just some, some old stuff. Like we didn't, you know, deliberately put it there that's all we had and now it just doesn't work sorry i think this this depends also slightly on how you look at your at your process of learning right like for me if i look at technical debt i look really i look at every piece of code which i've written up till now as technical debt maybe not at the at this point but in five years it will be if nobody maintains it it will be if nobody like if nobody uses it perfect and it's also not really technical debt it's just dead um yeah, I, I, i'm not but, quite sure sorry just to yeah. just to mention that like everything you write can be seen as technical debt yeah maybe but i don't think it's a debt there's nothing to pay off maybe in five years maybe that grows to be a debt a debt but right now you just wrote something that that is working for the business at, at that stage there's nothing to pay off right like so you're you're fine you, you didn't eventually you didn't sacrifice evolved, anything, until, you, have right? to pay. until you have somebody coming over who actually knows more right. and this is the point technical debt is also a lot in the eye of the beholder if i look at systems currently written even in when my within my current organization within previous organizations i was in with the knowledge i have now if i look at those systems even back then I would say all of them are technical debt. They all have a ton of different mindsets, which are, in my opinion, at this point in time, with my knowledge and experience, wrong. And this can go as little as variable names. Mm -hmm. Because I've learned that, okay, a variable name becomes important over time because people will move through a company and at some point it's lost what it means. Or it gets, if you don't keep it up to date with the concept which you're refactoring, then it will become a, a problem. That's for me the way I look at code, it is not that it needs to be technical. I don't see technical debt as per se a bad no, thing. Yeah, sure, it's not. And I think the point is that for me, that at least when you look at code, and I think also within infrastructure, it means you need to love and maintain. The word is maintain your products and right. your code. Sure. To avoid unmanageable mm -hmm. debt. 
debt. Yeah, it's it's like it's like, like a, you don't want to become like, yeah, exactly. It's like a credit. It's like a credit yeah. thing, right? So you you don't want to go crazy. Manageable and I guess unaccounted for yeah, I, I th- as well. Mm-hmm. Like the the one that kind right. kind of like but try to figure out as much about it as you can. Yeah, I think we identified a few different interesting things that I wasn't really uh, expecting the conversation to to go towards. Like there's debt where you uh, make choices that you you know going in are not perfect, but you make them because you want to buy something. Usually you want to buy time by cutting corners or you want to buy the ability to deploy a team that you know is not, you know, made of ace developers. And so you're not expecting them to deliver a perfectly executed product. Um, but usually you're buying at the end, you're also buying time with that. Uh, but then there's that that happens because you just don't know any better. And then one day you find out that the thing you did had some limitations or some flaws all along. And then at that point, you may have to pay that debt back or you may not. I think Italy made a good point about how if a piece of software is just running well, it's performing its job, nothing has jeopardized its uh, performance. It might not be debt if you don't have to repay it. But Varna, you also make a good point. Maybe in five years time, something changes, something like now everything runs on ARM CPUs. All of a sudden, everything ever written for x86 is, 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 is obsolete. I think there's a distinction though between like technical debt and obsolescence, mm-hmm. but yeah, let's not go there. Um, and then there's, there's, there's this, uh, uh, yeah, th- th- sorry. That was, that was the third one where like the software itself doesn't change. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, but the circumstances do mm. like something around the software or the infrastructure changes and makes something that used to be good, not so good anymore. Um, so that's actually pretty cool because, because, you know, there's this idea that you could avoid technical debt if only you plan things thoroughly you know that's no. that's an illusion right like you can't you can't say i'm going to be debt free from the beginning that's that that's why all organizations have debt because yeah, that, that's how you end up with that. those those projects that are try. never finished because you're yeah. you're trying to account right. for all the debt right well, away and then no I, I actually want to counter that one because is any project until it actually gets killed off ever? All right, if if you go that deep, it's yes, software, yeah, I mean. but <laughs> yeah, you know what you know what I mean. I don't think I don't it's know. that deep. I think it's it. I think it's a problem which people often think. I think a lot of people expect. Okay, you develop a piece of software, you develop a okay. service. Okay, let it's me rephrase that. This particular think, iteration of the project. What I meant, the okay. iteration, yeah. even just the iteration, is never finished. You're polishing too hard well it depends right if it's i made i made websites that ran exactly as delivered for like 10 years before they were pulled like that software was done some software is done but if it's a product then i agree a product is probably never done so i would even say that software is not done because there's new cves coming out there's new other methods of exploits coming out which in the end come to a type of technical debt but then if you don't that's what issues. exactly you should put in a, in, a, sure. in a balance and say is it worth it actually tackling those problems or not because if i write a simple website that has a security vulnerability in a javascript library that i don't care and, and this website runs like on the smart mirror in your house, doesn't even talk to internet. Yeah. It just well, runs I mean, there and shows you, I don't know, temperature outside or something. Who cares, right? Exactly. It's not worth Maybe it. I don't care. I wouldn't go yeah. Yeah. in like calling it debt. 
like you don't know anyone anything in this case it's just whatever yeah it's, it's fine. the obsoleteness kind of thing yep right so you're like yep. yeah it's obsolete but again this works. also comes down to assessment right yeah exactly you, you have to assess and that's the whole i think that's what is difficult right because you have to balance you know you go you go into a company and then you start assessing where is technical debt or what is technical debt for that context for that company and then you have to assess okay does the cost of maintaining or keeping this up up to date benefits or, or outweighs the cost of not touching it and having security issues or having uh, you know uh, whatever unknowns unsupported yeah. issues or whatever unknowns exactly uh, does this cost actually you know balance off and if if it does then well then we we have to go and fix it we have to go and update it because it's more uh, it's less costly to do that than risk your company's um you know uh, kind of like pr problems and so on so you you know you want to tackle those problems if it's a product especially but otherwise if you can live with those well that's a whole episode that's why it's so hard to assess that's a whole episode right there and say no it's cheaper to do that like mm. actually convincing yeah. a group of people that it is or even figuring out super whether hard. it is ooh, super hard also yeah. the problem which i've seen as well is you see obsolescence or you see technical debt coming right like you see let's say you're using php like php now has a very strict okay then we're cutting off support for version yeah. x like this goes into security fixing then we're cutting mm -hmm. it off like you can see the technical debt coming yeah there is a time and you can already prepare yep. for it and, and this is also one of those cases where that should not be hard for people to convince you would say. Like you say, okay, hey guys, we're three version, three minor versions behind. We have these 15 known CVEs for this ver version. It's open to the public. I think that's where the debt that is actually coming is in. Really like hard. If when you say this, maybe it's time to upgrade. Someone tells you, you know what? We need to do this other thing now quickly upgrade could wait so Classic. that's when you borrow your technical thing mm. like if you mm. keep doing this that's just classical maintenance right you're upgrading you might be late a week or two yeah. sometimes it's fine but if you say we're not doing this now that's when you're borrowing i think or at least yeah that's, that's how i start. look at it mm -hmm. yeah yeah, no, that, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. You're aware. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But you also increase debt. Right? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you do. Cost. You yeah, do, but I mean, it, it only, it only happens then. By default, like things getting older and you maintaining them, that's not debt, that's just maintenance. It just, just yeah, happens. Absolutely, but as yeah, soon as you're, you you're start neglecting it, on purpose or not, that's another conversation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the problem is always translating... You know, take the PHP version example. It's translating this into business terms, right? Because you're like, how can I justify to whatever C levels that I have to update whatever version of PHP, blah, 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 that is going to cost time, right? From people to do this upgrade. Hopefully, in an ideal world, as you said, Maxime, this is being done, you know, kind of like. Continue some utopian or, yeah, exactly. universe maybe <laughs> some utopian universe and then it's embedded into the culture and everybody's updating their wonderful versions of whatever language you're running amazing in mo most of the companies though that doesn't happen and then you have to negotiate and negotiating time business product focus or whatever because you're going to have to say 
hey, you know what? We're not delivering this feature right now in the next two weeks for the sprint because we have to do whatever yeah. migration. Th this updates takes that more than bring one sprint. no immediate benefit. Like I bring everything no down, immediate... update everything, bring it back Unless... up, it looks the same. <laughs> Unless, and that's that's uh, somebody mentioned this, I think it was uh, Warner. Unless there's CVEs open and your company is required to do the updates, otherwise contractors won't choose you yeah, as an yeah, option. Sure. No, I, I, that's the only point. Yes, <laughs> that's where regulation really comes in Handy. Uh, clutch, because that's really good. Yeah. It's good to be forced to do that. In, yeah. in no, I wasn't saying that. If that, there's no, if no, if there's no big. Yeah, I wasn't program. saying that this is what is usually like neglected or whatever it's just like i mean for, for real if not regulation then no one sees anything in these things right like the, the management team yeah. and it's fair like it's not something that you do you interact with it's like oh this system people do system things but it's it's nice to translate it, it is it is no it's nice I, to translate I, yeah. it to, to business it, costs. it is very important and but even even with having people know these kind of decisions, right? Sometimes a company may still decide to ignore it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this is the problem. Like, like I remember conversations uh, where you were warning, "Hey, we need to update this. Hey, we need to put serious time into this." And we've already postponed it six times. Like we're already <laughs> six minor versions behind plus one major yeah. one. We really need to start doing this. Um, and then they come to you and you're like, yeah, but what's the risk? And I'm like, well, it's open to the internet. You have this problem, like the refactoring issue. And at some point you actually get towards the problem with the dependencies, which you need to actually do, because you cannot go from version four to version eight in mm -hmm. one go. Yeah. You actually need to do that in steps, two or yeah. three steps. Um, and the problem really becomes at that point, because at some point the tooling, which is developed, even definitely in PHP, when you have a lot of open source, actually is not, not, doesn't exist anymore. They've already removed it. So you actually get to the point where by taking so much technical debt on, you get into the area where you have to decide, okay, I have to do a code freeze. I have to do a rewrite, which is ugh, ugly word. Um, you, you can also go the other direction and say, okay, we're going to, extract as much out but when do you actually go about making that choice yeah that, that's a tricky thing right like rewrites and code freezes Very tricky. those are the words that scare people out um, rewrites are so hard to justify to whatever management positions um, and i mean management from from a business perspective i mean let's be honest even even to engineers right sometimes it's not that every engineer i know sometimes. goes like oh yeah rewriting yes yeah, yeah, not everybody, but I mean, there is some sort More of, of those than managers, some, yes, sometimes. that's for sure. Yeah, sometimes because engineers are like, oh, okay, this is sort of a green field, I you can now choose a different technology. I can fix that you ugly bug I hate so much, yeah. In general, you end up in a rabbit hole, but, um, you know, engineers are normally, they tend to be more excited about this uh, rewrites. Oh, it's easier to rewrite something into a new service or whatever than actually trying to refactor something inside the current service. Uh-huh. Yeah, if only, illusion. but that's the illusion that yeah. a lot of people think, especially, you know, people without too, too much experience in the field. This happens a lot. Um, oh, yeah. It, 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 even with even experience. with experience. Yeah, that's a good point. Even with experience. Um, but that, but that's the point, right? Because then you're like, okay, should I rewrite or do a code freeze? Code freeze is also not a good idea, oh, right? No. It's, 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 oh no! I mean, depending on the scenario, but making general, no friends over in product. Yep. In general, it's not or good. Anywhere. Product is 
very very unhappy with the situation oh, also even and even engineers are uh, they i think they are even there are even more engineers who are not fans of that because that also slows the development mm. process down you have all this mess yeah. with like things that you cannot merge anymore or there is another yeah, branch that is now like so far <laughs> yeah. like either ahead or behind or went in completely yeah. different direction and then things yeah. get very messy totally yeah. it's and let's be real we're, th we're there to deliver value and that value usually takes the form of functionality that uh, needs to be developed and deployed and code freezes are an admission that at some point we just didn't do our right. jobs in some way right. actually actually and this is the question like that now we get into fuck i really don't like myself at the moment because we actually get into this organizational thing again <laughs> well <laughs> man yeah, um, it boils down to this eventually yeah. there's a reason for that yeah no because like as we said like okay technical debt is being made as a business decision so at what point do you as an engineer or as a software developer or even as a technical product lead or something along those well actually i'm not sure a technical product lead is the right person but as a, as a as somebody in that bulk ball yard say hey guys we cannot take on any more debt we cannot rush anymore and i think or is the the, the idea that you should actually never get into that situation because you do something like continuous refactoring you actually calculate in your technical debt already within your normal let's say product work that would be like how can you as an engineer go the right that direction? would be the perfect scenario right the last one where you oh, yeah. are constantly refactoring your code and you don't have to worry too much about it because everything will just be fine yeah, that's a neighboring in general, utopia that happen the neighboring utopia yeah, yeah. exactly but in general, that doesn't happen. No, but we, why all, don't we? we all love that we vision. Should. I mean, I, I, it, you know, for, for us here, if we would work in a company, the four of us, we pro probably would try to aim for that. Would we would we be successful? I don't know. Yeah, but I, I we would aim for that. Would no. it, there are some, there are some yeah. unicorn setups, always, like some always. companies yeah. claim that they do that. And, and I do believe some of them, but they were let's call it lucky and they managed to get the product out that now so basically right. the company is profitable now they can afford that when you're a startup yeah and you still know whether you're gonna tank or not and it's like a few years ahead of you that's of another thing one gigantic unknown you cannot afford being this just because there are so many others who won't that's the problem yeah. you're not forced to make hacky decisions by nothing you're forced to make hacky decisions yeah. by your competitors more often than not right time to market and, and like this so is, I think, many companies are yeah. there like they sorry so many companies are there they're between rounds and they have to make their customers happy and they have to make their investors happy and they have to woo new investors yeah. and maybe they don't have the scale that's attracting a lot of like you know, hackers who are trying to break into the system and do some kind of ransomware. Maybe their, their, maybe their, um, risk profile is just not so high. You know, maybe they have a ton of vulnerabilities. It would be trivial to break in there, but no one's really looking. What they really need is not to protect against some, you know, um, imaginary threat. What they really need is to secure that next round. And that means all developers, all hands on deck, building the features well, that are going to, let them raise that capital. Look, look at Zoom. Right? That's super, super look common. Zoom. They only yeah. start taking care of security after the whole problem actually went out there. Yeah. Right. And they could have died again, as again, a result, but they didn't. Yeah. So it was the right choice in, in hindsight, Absolutely. right? They got the whole market. So.
So, so would it make like I'm just gonna go one more political <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm on a roll it. here. Like I'm going so far outside of my comfort zone. So, what if at that point you say, as Pedro said, a word, if you have legislation in place, you have to fix it. So, sure. what if we put no question, people either. criminally responsible? Right. Let's say for every person's data leaked, one day of prison. Yeah, no, obviously. Then, then oh, there is no way around wow. it. It's it's legal, right? So it's now it's law, and you have to follow it. So at that point, you're restricted by whatever regulation that is out there. So there is no way around it. So you're going to have to yeah. be creative enough with the resources you have to circumvent that, right? So you, you have to update whatever. You have to keep your software, you know, shiny. So you will find ways to do it. But then you're going to slow down on something else. And that's a compromise. You're going to slow down in features or you're going to slow down on something else because you don't have the money to actually have focus on all of this. Yeah. Uh, right at, at we're talking about early stages. actually so you normally there is also a case when because of how much you're already slowed down by let's say something related to regulation like handling all this let's say security issues and fixing fixing cves you're already like not having that capacity but then you still need to move fast you may like kind of eventually get into even more tech debt by sacrificing something else because now you don't have enough capacity. Yeah. So this is how ideally, I mean, yeah, we always assume that, oh, we kind of regulation doesn't happen tomorrow, right? It's a long process. So by the yeah. time it you're actually start living it, you already kind of realize that, oh, I probably need like more people here and more resources of some kind over there. And I need more better like processes over here to deal with all that, uh, but still, like we know how it works in reality like yeah things happen and then you will sacrifice something if not cves something else okay your security is fine something your security else. is amazing your code is like freaking insane to work with somehow security is still amazing i don't know how but you know there, there are magical things it's it's an interesting thing though like you like looking at exactly what you just said look at fintech these days right you normally have a lot of, let's say, pressure from regulators. So you have to, yeah. you know, you, you try can't to exist fit in, without into it, right? whatever they're like saying. There, you can't even, you right? can't start a startup and be a fintech big thing. Like regulation yeah. starts yeah. before everything. Regulation is there and it has to be intrinsic into whatever culture you have. But then eventually you're going to slow down on something. And that's why there is a lot of people complaining about these new banks out there where, oh, there's no new features coming out or it takes too long for new features to come out. Well, maybe, and I'm not saying all of them are doing this, but maybe they're focusing on something else, security, and then they're lefting out product innovation, which is maybe balance yeah, here and there. Or maybe code quality is being compromised, which is also, you know, something else. And then you have more features coming out. You have a reasonable security, but then code is unmaintainable and nobody wants to work for that company. That's why the, the topic is so complex, right? Because you can never balance those things in, in yeah. perfect shape. And, and so another like, thing about banks specifically, just to kind of complete the example, if it's a bank, yeah. most likely it is more or less profitable, right? And then mm. bank is... Well, I mean, yeah, it depends. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I know. wish. But, but I mean, th those ones that kind of like, let's say, do work as banks and don't put so many new uh. features out, they're comfortable. It works for them. Why would they be putting so yeah. many new features? Like startups and not so startups already, but still very young companies are forced to do something because they got to compete with all the other right. ones. Some companies, not right. only banks, but some other companies 
I, I don't know, base camp. They, I think they brag about it, how they sometimes mm. do not care about new features. It's fine. It makes money. We put yeah, bread no, on the table. Yeah. It's, it's okay. So, But right now, the neobanks, when you look at them, you're like, well, there are new banks, they're coming here and they're just ro robbing the market from the traditional banks. They're still not failing because there is a huge bubble of investments around it. And then they can manage this technical debt, basically. Yeah. But I think we're diverging into a topic that is too more complex than, than, than we should so, talk. So, so I think like what I've heard right now, like we can identify technical debt in a few ways, right? Like we've said, okay, we can identify it for security, we can use CVEs. Right. Relatively One easy, way. right? Easy. So for code, we can use pen tests. Yeah. Well, that's again. Yeah, pen tests. That, I think that covers yeah. a yeah. lot. Pen tests can cover, like even yeah. even yeah. I don't know how well your employees are trained not to click on stupid links and emails. That's mm -hmm. that's huge. Oh yes. So it's a big bucket. Yeah, but yeah. So if you look at, at code quality, like some of the things we can do is we can run, of course, CI/CD like automate the process mm. and then also use tools like static code it, uh, analysis and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah, static code analysis, maybe a co something like code scene to actually look at the, mm -hmm. the pattern of your code evolving over right. time, which is very interesting. Uh, Sonar cube, all those kind yep. of tools you can, you can actually use to improve your code. So now we've got security and code covered. Mm -hmm. Like what else? Are things where we actually uh, aren't we coming to this coming. kind of third way of defining uh, technical, uh, not defining, but basically looking at technical debt, which is uh, looking at it by areas. So you literally call it like a security debt architecture debt, whatever. Yeah, you're categorizing it. Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to put it. And then because that's how you identify where where let's say the depth is and where you should tackle it first right so you you also have those third-party libraries oh, right oh. where you should potentially <laughs> third -party have libraries i wish we didn't have yeah, them. those those are nice <laughs> i mean look at the beautiful npm module <laughs> um but then you know um these days now we have uh, you know tools like dependabot coming out which are trying to help keep things sort of up to date in an automated way somebody has to take a look into it anyways and test it and yep. and you know run through whatever test suit you have but yeah. it's but, there's oh, more you you okay. but, yeah. but eventually exactly. at least someone um, unless you really trust it someone has to go and say okay merge yeah sure this is good i uh, this is I why trust. this is why you have canaries <sighs> Right. Yeah. I mean, you just toss a canary out there. Well, yeah. 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 Especially, wait, especially wait. when you're like making not exactly pacemakers, but you know. <laughs> yeah. No. Wait. Before before this, like, if even if you have like your tests automated and you know your integration tests running and canary releases and all these beautiful things out there, so you can test if every single patch update that is coming is good. Um, somebody has to press a button and say, "Okay, I I confirm this is good." I'm going to integrate it into my master branch. Boom. Or it's automated. That can also go auto merge. Well, you can go auto merge. If you're so <laughs> confident that your, your, your quality is on top notch level, and then you go to master and automatically goes to staging, which then automatically deploys to production afterwards. Off I have go. a wrench to throw <laughs> you're, in. You're I have, good. Yeah, but then you have a liability issue because then if <laughs> there is a, an, an issue with the new patch, then who's liable? Oh, God. Oh, oh no. 
Oh no! Wait, wait. But, but that's, that's, that's going to come down to whoever approved that, that, the automation. That's a good yeah, question, actually. Like full, fully that's automated systems, like that. There is this question that it gets asked about them. Like, how, how do you figure this out? And it's not even only about software. Like, let's say there are in Finland. I know there are reserved power stations that start automatically whenever there is a ah, need. Yeah, like, it, yeah. whenever the grid experiences the need and more power, they start automatically. I think it'll, you learned about those from the same channel. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, uh, I think so. should anything bad happen, who do you like li- literally blame? Who is accountable yeah. for? Or, okay, nicer way of putting this, yeah, held, uh, held accountable for. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, eventually, so- like w- what some companies started doing, they put people in place to, you know, to, to have someone accountable like because you yeah. cannot have computers accountable for everything, at least not at the stage we are. But even if you look at the perspective from a customer, right? So let's say that we have our nice company here and we have all this automation that automatically picks patches, run through our test suite, which is wonderful. And then it goes into production somehow. If something goes wrong for whatever reason, because we're not covering whatever quality check that was, was supposed to be uh, covered, the customer is gonna actually go to you as a company and say, you are liable for it because I am your customer and we have a contract, we have a deal. So you are the liable one. If you put software from third party and then he broke something, well, that's your fault. That's oh too yeah, bad they for don't you. know anything anymore. about the third party. Exactly. For, for them, it's no, you. not at all. So, absolutely. So this is actually very interesting if you bring this back to, to technical debt mm. because we're actually changing context as a company as well. Like if your if, if your company is growing and you're evolving, it can actually be that your models and your context causes technical debt, because it oh, may yeah. be that uh-huh. in the beginning you have you are this awesome little Giphy site which uploads a whole bunch of GIFs and nobody yeah. cares, and then maybe the context changes. Companies start using you, people start saying, "Hey, this GIF is for some reason not uh, not okay." discriminating or something along those lines so actually the context yeah can cause you to get technical yeah i think we see this with uh, i think the one that was mostly affected was youtube right so in the beginning of youtube there was so much crap on youtube like so many things that today are considered inappropriate and now youtube all political is now trying to get this right in each region right because this also changes per country right so you have to adapt to each law of each country which can become a technical debit as well at some point. Not even only like technical. Then, there is all kinds of debt no, looking at you. All kinds of debt when you talk that kind of scale. So it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. We, we go from the tiny little bit of my code can become debt to something so big that my product can make the whole system you know, change and, and be in debt. So it's, it's a very interesting kind of... A, yeah, I, th- I think it's important to highlight something that we mentioned in the beginning, which is technical debt is not just code, yeah. right? It's, it's technical assets, can be code, could be database schemas, can be the way that your code is merged and reviewed. It could be uh, yeah. your architecture, your load balance infrastructure, exactly, your servers. It could be your load balances, <laughs> your DNS, uh, your registrar, your registrar, registrar. Yeah. your registrar, yeah. yeah. Those are nice. Those are the nicest. No, no, the DNSs are the nicest. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Registrars, <laughs> if you're listening, you're all amazing. And DNS is the best protocol that's out there. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's it. sec- second to BGP, I think. The rest is just... The rest is even more perfect. <laughs> yeah, I love it. it it's wonderful. <laughs> it works well. But it still works. Uh, sure. And this is also one thing which I think is important to remember. Like, even though you may have the feeling something is technical debt, the, the company which it's may, may have been built upon it, and it may even be still the, the, the product which actually makes the money for the company, it may look like you'd never want to write a piece of code in there. It may look like spaghetti. But again, if that, that piece of code or that project or that software or that infrastructure is making money and it is causing the company to grow and be able to, to do things, it's awesome. And I think as an engineer, uh, it is really important to also understand this and also say, hey, how can I continuously improve myself, improve the people around me and also improve the code? So start, next time you get a ticket, instead of thinking like, okay, I can just hack this in. Take a second. How can you refactor your code, make it more maintainable to the current standards based on the current knowledge that you have, and then implement the feature? I like that you uh, started talking about that because I think quite often people call like mess, they call it technical debt, which it isn't. Like what, what you described now, that's exactly it. Okay, it's the product that is making money, but it's spaghetti. It's not technical debt i would say it's you doing poor job at writing your code so you'd better like figure what's wrong there whether the process is wrong or people need more training or the platform is completely i don't know not suitable for the job whatever it is i wouldn't call it debt at this time it might be that just it doesn't doesn't work properly so yeah Again, I would also not even call it bad code necessarily. I think that there's an art and a science to taking debt in a smart way. Um, maybe it's actually a, a show of great experience and judgment um, to pick certain kinds of technical debt. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I know how a system should be architected for high performance up to a certain point, up to a certain point. Um, I'm not I'm not I'm not like an expert in, in, in that to the level that some people are. But um, if I'm tasked with, with bringing up a small startup from zero to product market fit, am I really going to do a really complicated architecture with multiple load balancers with a ton of Google spreadsheets um, and uh, with, with, with redundant databases? No, I'm going to focus on just putting a feature out there that's working and that's, that's, that's proving that the market fit is there. And I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna accept someone telling me oh you're you picked technical debt this is terrible I'll be like yeah I got some debt here like if this grows I know I have to do a little bit of work to make this uh, you know handle that load but right now I'm looking at three customers one of them is my mother so I'm not sure I need to pay that debt yeah right and, now, and right? even if you like would have to like let's say to pay it soon it's a small amount fine you could pay it it's okay. Uh-huh. So, so yeah. let's say just, we've I, got this this awesome startup which has grown, which have the spaghetti. Uh, so then, like I often see this this like I'm not a fan of them uh, personally, but we see this this concept of Scrum, and then people have sprints because they think they're necessary, and they don't think like continuously just working along is a good idea. For some reason, like they need to their annual reports and stuff. So you have to do these sprints, 
And then they then suddenly some engineer, of course, comes in and is like, hey, we need to do a refactoring sprint or we need to do a rewrite sprint or something along those lines. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Kill me. Kill me. Yeah. All right. I, we can all agree that's a bad idea. Uh, let's go into why. Yep. I think it's a bad idea because, well, lots of reasons. First of all, uh, it gives us a bad image with the other stakeholders. I mean, literally everyone else is just plugging along in the same direction. So why are the engineers all of a sudden stopping to do something inscrutable that no one else understands? Um, and I do think that sometimes it is necessary, but it's only when you can absolutely just not find a way to build, you know, refactoring into your, into your regular yeah. work. We talked about this earlier as a bit of a utopian idea because it's not always possible, but I do think that there is usually more possible than more pe most people realize. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, we, I mean, we were joking a great deal about it. We, we know this works, yeah. right? We've worked in companies where it wasn't present and we've worked in other companies where it is more present and it works. And obviously it's yeah. not super ideal. It's there, and you doing it in kind of yeah. more or less real time mode. There, are, yeah, there there are many ways to do it, right? Like some yeah. people are like, ah, you know what? I'm going to allocate ten, twenty percent, fifteen percent, whatever percentage for business continuity, right? So this can include refactoring. Or some people don't even do that. They just say, as you start implementing your feature, you're going to start, you know, figuring out some classes, some parts of your code which needs refactoring, and you just do it. As a normal kind of a uh, kind of thing, right? That that that's kind of natural yeah, for a few like, people. Like an overhead, and then you start paying those debt. Yeah. And, and as soon as you that start... overhead gets yeah. over whatever amount, you start Threshold. thinking about something yeah. else. Like, oh, maybe it's too much overhead now. Like too much drag. We'd better think of something else. Absolutely. But I and think really... I, I think these refactoring sprints are actually masking the problems you're having. Could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at them, the reason why people think they need to refactor is because they don't feel like they're able to work in the code base or they're not able to do something. So maybe that actually masks the lack of experience in the code base. Uh -huh. Maybe it may means yep. it lacks uh, the kind of exact business support, which we say, hey, if I say I want to build this feature, I need to be able to set the deadline kind of concept. Uh -huh. Where you say, as a team, we say, okay, we need this 20% extra in there to keep the code maintainable. And of course, business can then try and force you to write the crappy, hacky code. And yes, then you have a technical debt, but then you need to take that up as the next feature. So maybe instead of proposing a refactoring sprint, why don't we start proposing a, let's say, a slow business sprint where we say, okay, we're going to prepare all our code for the next feature. But also with this context in mind, with this future vision in mind of, okay, where do we want to have our code go? Because refactoring without a target is kind of like um, going into a restaurant hungry. It yeah, never ends well. I, I, think, I, think, I think that if you start telling uh, POs that you need 20% more time to pay technical debt, you're going to make a lot of good people very nervous uh -huh. and for good reason. I, 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 I am, I'm not a fan of, of going that route necessarily. I would suggest that what you need there is just strong um, and business savvy technical leaders who can make decisions about that. Like, I don't think a, a PO or PM or TPM is a person to 
bring up that need. I think it's your engineering manager, your director, your VP, your CTO. And it's, and it's like, I think that with them, you need to be very clear, like, Hey, you know, this sprint, we're taking just a little bit more time because these are the reasons they will understand this context and that should be bubbled up. It should be bubbled up as appropriate, depending on the scope. If it's a really big thing, it might be bubbled up even to sea levels. Um, but that should be a really big thing for that to happen. But in, in any case, that will give you two things. First of all, a healthy check on whether you're making the right decision there or not. Um, and also it'll give you air cover. You know, if you're ever called up on why is this taking so long, you will presumably have some cover because, you know, you will be, you'll, you'll have the, the buy-in from your, from your uh, superiors in the, in the tech uh, leadership um, tree. Well, I would, well, I, yeah, I, w- I would keep this out of, of conversations with PMs ness- right. as, as a rule, unless, unless it's something that really, really is a, a, mostly a technical effort. Like if I'm coming back from five versions of my programming language and it needs to re that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, build anything around that right that is that is like okay i really have to focus on getting my upgrade path right and and catching up with with my with my with my current uh, version on this but if it's something like you don't have enough test coverage or something is not optimized or there's some performance issue that you could you know change on the application layer uh, or maybe some schema can have some minor change to optimize for something, those things I think usually can be built into yeah, your. Yeah, you just account yeah. on your, your future development. If yeah. you do estimations, you account on it, or if you are yeah. just going along with whatever other process, you just you know put it in the same bucket. It's part of the process. Yeah. It's part of the so, development, yeah. anyways. Also, I think, and we mentioned that several times already. Uh, uh, like I know engineers, they not all of them, but quite a, a lot of them tend to just like kind of think in their own bubble without really demonstrating to the outside world why are we doing these things? Why do they matter? Like, what are the benefits? If you can't readily see them, maybe you as an engineer need to sit down and figure out what the benefits are and then how to present them to the business folks because they are not telling you to neglect the things for no reason or because they are, I don't know, arrogant or don't care. They have their, like, their own goal which is also partially your goal and you got to be helping them. So if you're just sitting there and telling, oh, this is going to take longer because, you know, it's a technical thing. Don't do that. Like try to actually advertise this as a good thing. Like put some numbers and right. tell them like, hey, you know what? If you, you know, hopefully like EMs and um, whatever heads off and, 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 and so on are exposing you to the reasons right as a developer so hopefully they're they're making that transparent to you as much as they can to say we have this business priorities and we have this pressure here and there and blah 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 so they expose you to whatever information you need so you now are informed enough and now you understand why we're taking some shortcuts here and and why we should actually invest time in fixing other things oh yeah i think this will also allow you to like let's say uh take better shortcuts like cut rounder corners you know when when you know why this is done you're like oh maybe i don't have to go all the stupid way over there and then spend two months refactoring it maybe i just do this hackity thing and refactor it tomorrow context is king absolutely or, or what I often like to do is I just push part of the feature out, the part which is easy, 
and the rest of it I just have to do some refactoring for and then push out the rest. <laughs> like you yeah. can also decide, uh, and this is also depending on, but I think a lot of this is also experience, is okay, how do you split up these feature requests? How do you oh, split yeah. up priorities? That's definitely experience. Like I actually, this is actually something which I'm doing with one of the current projects where I'm helping out as a, as a PO, PM, whatever, product person. The one thing I'm doing is I'm very clearly cutting the, the process up into multiple stages. At each stage, which is hopefully sprint, not, not quite there, we actually deliver something. Well, we actually always deliver because every VR goes to production even from the first one. Um, but we hopefully deliver every time a piece of functionality which is already useful if somebody wants. Uh-huh. So I have one last question in regards to technical debt, which we I've just heard a lot of saying. Well, like we talk a lot about this debt and we talk a lot about making decisions and who makes the decisions. So who's responsible for technical debt? In in what in, in what question. in what sense? Mm. Responsible, not responsible, responsible for what for like keeping it at certain level for returning it on time. Like, Look, let's start with taking the debt because some you have to start taking the debt. So who's responsible for that? Oh. Well, oh, that's a good question. I like it. So I think that whoever is responsible for designing something is also responsible for the decisions that lead to debt. Oh. And that could be different people. It depends on the scope of the project. I, I think I think ideally you want to have teams that are empowered to make those kinds of decisions. Oh. Right? I think I think at the team level there should be authority uh to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there should also be transparency up and down the hierarchy to, um, to make sure that those decisions are supported. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's the same thing as any, any other decision. I think the responsibility ultimately lies with, um, whoever's in the CTO seat. And then that person needs to have a structure that, uh, has the skills and the experience uh, and the, and the domain knowledge to make decisions. And then that person needs to help help them yeah. do that and support them where needed ultimately you know there's there is always somebody accountable and in general is whoever is leading a team or a cto or a vp of whatever or head of because somebody has to be accountable for something now depends on what we're saying because the accountability where we definitely don't want to bring the topic of blame right we don't we don't want to put the blame culture in place we just no. want to make sure that you know whatever technical depth is there was introduced for a reason and there is a plan to actually tackle hopefully so that's that's more or less how i see it and this needs supports from all different places right you need support from product you need support from from your engineers you need support from a lot of different people to make those things happen that's at least how i see it yeah it can honestly not think of a better way to phrase it like i was originally thinking pretty much everyone Mm. Which I'm still quite of, quite of that opinion because I think everybody is responsible for part of the debt because as we I think like discussed already it's like there are different types of debt and different layers of debt and different ways of getting there. Uh, like you can also say time yeah. is. I mean, you can have a very beautiful uh, design and then during the implementation by supposedly a different team, some other sacrifices were made. Right. right? So. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it comes down to a lot of, like, if you look at technical debt and getting rid of or reducing it, I would not say get rid of it. It also comes down to trust. Yeah. 
For sure, I see this intertwined with with uh, with design. Uh, if you need to trust people to make decisions on design, and so they're going to make decisions on technical debt as well. Yeah. yeah. As long as we're talking about the kind that you know about, we're not talking about the kind where you know the world changes around you. You can't account for that until it happens. Yeah, absolutely. So as everybody can notice, Kieran is gone, so we have no way to end this episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've never audience. done it. <laughs> yep. First Gee. time without shall, Kieran. Shall we, shall we finally do this thing that we were meant to do for a while? We have this like recommendation section, something, something at the end. Yeah, let's do shout outs. Like, is there anything outs. that uh, we want to recommend to our audience, our vast audience to uh Yeah, I, I have a thing I want to recommend. Uh, I read this book uh, recently called uh, The Culture Map by Erin Meyer. And my good friend Robin recommended me this book. And it talks about how cultures are different in various aspects. I wouldn't like go through the whole book. Uh, and at first, you might think, oh, this is, you know, kind of too stereotypical forces you to like apply stereotypes to people and put labels on them based on their culture or their perceived culture or their origin or whatever. But actually, and the author talks about that in the book as well. Yes, these things are there, like stereotypes, they aren't just invented, right? They come from majority of certain group and whatnot. But then to me, it was so beneficial to just know about the things. Not that I apply them to like people of different cultures now, but I know, okay, people can be like that and people can be different in this way. And these things are also like the way cultures differ. It's all relative. It's not like, oh, this culture is here on the spectrum and this culture is there and it's set in stone. No, it's like, let's say, if two cultures are very close to one another on... And I exactly forgot all the like properties she talks about. But anyway, spectrum of, I don't know, feature X. If you're too close between you two, you're actually very different. Like this, this cultures think that they are vastly different. But if you go and put the third culture in place that is like on the other end of the spectrum, compared to both of those, like that culture would see them the same. There is no difference. So to me, just being aware yep. of that fact plus all the, I think it's like eight different dimensions across which you can compare people. Let's not even say cultures. I was very, I, I saw so many things. I was like, names of colleagues and ex-colleagues were popping up in my head immediately when you read through like stories and examples. So yeah, if you work in a multicultural environment, I highly recommend familiarizing with this work. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Very nice. All right. Italo, do you recommend anything? Uh, gotta be honest. I have done nothing but focus on my, my current new job. So I do not recommend anything at this moment. That's also a good recommendation in and of itself, I think. Yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah. I'm just focusing a lot. In times of transition, just focus. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's basically what I've been that's doing. Top, top tip right there. Absolutely. There you go. 
So yeah, right. I would honestly recommend not putting a brisket into a sous vide bag for 72 hours and then putting it on the smoker. It's just a waste of time. Just put it on the smoker directly. It's I mean, really nice. whenever you talk to Werner, uh, put it on the smoker. Whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever you have, just put it on the smoker. Exactly. It's pretty good, so. though. Uh, no, but uh, all things aside, like going back to the beginning of the of the episode, like for me, people who are looking into containers, are looking into Docker, take a look at DistroList. Uh, yes, please. The Google Container Tools repo or organization in uh, on GitHub. There's actually, on the readme, there's a really, really nice talk with a video. You can chill out, relax, hear the guys talk. And it actually gives you a lot of context about like what are containers or what can you do with containers and what are they really good at. And I really would advise going into that and at least understanding it and knowing the trade-offs you're making. Sounds good. Nice. Pedro? Uh, I'm actually going to recommend uh, Sam Newman's books, probably more the, the second edition, on microservices. And um, I know microservices is uh, kind of a bad word around here. But the reason why I'm doing it is because of just the way that he goes into, um, you know, looking at the monolith, figuring out if it even needs breaking up in the first place. And then if it does, taking it apart bit by bit, rather than doing a big bang rewrite as microservices, just just the ideas there apply to technical debt. The ideas there apply to the topic we just discussed. Like really be critical and, 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 and use your judgment on whether or not something really needs to be fixed or whether you just would prefer to fix it because it's shinier. Um, and if you do want to fix things, I think looking for ways to do it gradually over time, bit by bit, is way easier, way better than uh, all at once. So those ideas just super, super, super important. And, and Sam's just super well. He, he describes that way better than, than I could in fewer words as well. So that, that book, uh, my, my shout out of, of the day. Yeah. I, I think this, this book is probably the, the easiest read on microservices, like very uh -huh. deep and technical and everything, but at the same time, very easy. Like I had so much fun reading that, like these two or however many there are by Sam about microservices. Beautiful books. Maybe I should pick up a yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, read a book once in your life, man. Um, all right. Sorry, um, I'm, I'm more kidding, of the audiobook kidding. fan. Doesn't work with that book, no. It's, it's the same. It's the same. <laughs> Not really. Nope. All right. Yeah. All right, so I guess... <clears throat> Okay. Cool. Then also shout out to Kieran for always doing the closing. Oh yeah, yeah. Shout out to Kieran. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, without already you, miss you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, we have been the critical channel. Where can you find us? You can find us on Twitter at Criticalio. Right. And uh, something go. something notes. Also on the web at criticalchannel.io. I think. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Seventeen. Yeah, uh, 17 or... Right. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, see you again next see time. See you. Ciao.